the regular meeting of the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners. Audience members, I wanna start by asking you to please silence your electronic devices. I would also like to remind folks that in addition to the audience in this room, we also have people watching and listening online. Please consider your language in comments and testimony today. Today's meeting is a hybrid board meeting. Some presenters and guests will appear in person and some will appear virtually. For those presenting virtually, please mute your mic when not speaking. And when presenting, make sure to unmute your mic and turn on your camera. For all presenters, please state your name for the record before speaking or responding to questions. I wanna to start today by acknowledging the mass casualty event that took place last night in Gaza and to express my deepest condolences to those living through these tragic events and to continue my calls for peace in this region. As has been shared publicly, this board is working on a resolution regarding the situation and we'll have more on that in the coming weeks. On this final day of February, when we celebrate Black History and Futures Month, we are so honored to welcome vocalist and community leader Alonzo Chadwick Sr. to the boardroom. We invite all of you to join in as Alonzo leads us in singing the Black National Anthem, James Weldon Johnson's Lift Every Voice and Sing. Um, for those of you who are interested, there are copies of lyrics in the back room where they have been passed out to you. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with the steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place from which our Father sighed. We have come over the way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading the blue, the, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. Out from the gloomy past, 
Till now we stand at last where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who hast brought us thus far on the way, thou who hast by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in thy path, we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand. True to our God, true to our native land. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, Alonzo. That is something that I've been wanting to do here for years, and I just really appreciate the opportunity to do this. Um, thank you for, um, for gracing us with your talents uh, this morning. It's a really wonderful way to start off today. All right, so we will now be able to move on to our regular board agenda. May I have a motion on the consent calendar? So moved. Commissioner Brim Edwards moves. Commissioner Myron seconds. Approval of the consent calendar. Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Aye. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The consent calendar is approved. Opportunity for public comment on non-agenda matters. This is a time for the board to hear public testimony, not for board deliberation. When it is your turn to speak, I will call your name and unmute you or call you to the presenter's table. I'll set a timer for two minutes when you begin speaking and announce when your time is up, at which point please wrap up your sentence. We received six verbal testimony and 39 written testimonies, which were shared with board members and staff. Um, I'll call four people at a time. Please come forward to the dais when I call your name. Barack Goodman, Ahmed Abed, Ao Nguyen, and Donald Ricard. Please come forward. Morning. You can begin. Morning. You may begin. Ah, my debate. Sorry. No. You can begin. You. I can begin. Yes, Sorry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, my name is Ahmed Abid. I'm a local physician here in Portland, and I just returned from a medical mission in Gaza. I stand you before not as a distant observer, but a direct witness to the unfolding tragedy in Gaza a place card by the conflict that has left people battered and broken. I implore each of you to hear the plea of those who suffer at this genocide and to join me in calling for an immediate and permanent ceasefire. The scenes I have witnessed are beyond comprehension. It's much worse than anything you see or hear in the media. Mass injuries have become a haunting reality and the severity of those injuries exceeds the limit of human endurance. Limbs lost, life shattered, and futures forever altered. 
I have seen the long lines of hundreds, if not thousands, of trucks full of food, clothes, medical supplies, blankets, and other goods held up less than two miles away from starving homeless and cold adults and children, only held up because of the Israeli policy to halt aid going in. I have heard first-hand accounts of fellow medical doctors in Gaza besieged in hospitals for weeks before the hospital is completely destroyed, leaving hundreds of sick and injured to die. Death is everywhere. If you don't die from direct attacks, you die due to lack of health care, medicine, and food. In Gaza, the unimaginable has become commonplace. People are faced with the agonizing choice of wishing death over a life marred by debilitating injuries. As a team, we pledge to each other no resuscitation if the situation should arise. If we were wounded from attack, we chose to die rather than to live, a die, rather than to live with mutilated bodies. Perhaps the most wrenching aspect of the plight of innocent children, many are left without parents, orphaned by the unrelenting violence. Their small bodies enduring injuries that no child should ever bear. These children left in hospitals not only grapple with physical pain and hunger, but also the emotional trauma of losing their families. Please watch CNN this morning to see the Israeli forces open fire on people trying to collect food from aid trucks. I urge each of you to recognize the dire urgency of the situation. We must demand an immediate permanent ceasefire and stop spending tax dollars on aiding genocide. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Owen Nguyen. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to address you. Um, today I would like to speak to a favorite subject for some of my fellow citizens. Our friends from J Street were here twice in the last three meetings. Each time they talked enthusiastically about the two-state solution. This is an admirable goal. One of the speakers even referred to it as the final solution. However, J Street seems to be living in a fantasy world. Just this past January, the Prime Minister of Israel has said, quote, the State of Israel must have security control over the entire territory from west of the Jordan River. In other words, one Jewish state from the river to the sea. Even before that, two-state has not been viable for many years. It has been rendered effectively unworkable by the reality of occupation and apartheid. Furthermore, current attacks on Gaza are killing off Palestinians by the tens of thousands, over 30,000 at the last count. And that's just the ones whose bodies are out in the open. Who knows how many more are buried under the rubble, and the many more who will soon die of starvation, thirst, and preventable diseases. At this rate, if a two-state solution ever happens, there will be no Palestinians, Palestinians left to populate one of those states. Then maybe the myth of land without a people will finally come to pass. So please, if anyone here really supports the two-state solution, it is urgently imperative that you call for a ceasefire now. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Hello. Uh, my name is Barack Goodman. I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon. I'm Jewish. I grew up going to Neva Shalom Synagogue. And my mother, brother, nieces, nephews, and hundreds of cousins were born and live in occupied Palestine, or what is now referred to as Israel. I'm here today to demand a ceasefire resolution which calls for an immediate and permanent ceasefire, allowing all entry of needed aid into Gaza, lifting the siege of Gaza, and ending US military occupation aid to Israel. 
Without the safety and security of Palestinians, my family, Jewish families, Palestinian families will never be safe. As long as Israel is committing war crimes in the name of my religion, Jewish people will never be safe. As we speak, the Israeli occupation continues murdering hundreds of people every day with over 30,000 people murdered and even more injured and millions being starved. Now over one million people are trapped in the Rafah crossing in what can only be described as a concentration camp with nowhere to go. For many of these families, this is the second or third time the Israeli occupation has ethnically cleansed them off their land in their lifetime. All of this is directly supported and funded by the United States. Never in my life have so many men, women, and children, all innocent, been murdered at these rates. Innocent people that have the right to live in peace and dignity being taken from this earth thanks to US weaponry. We're watching, funding, and supporting a genocide, and it's absolutely our duty to do everything in our power to stop it. Anyone who t cares to take the time to look can find countless videos of mass murder, torture, kidnapping and abuse committed by the Israeli occupation against Palestinian civilians. This is how the violent occupation survives. Those who choose to look away are making an active choice to deny reality. It is truly shameful that this resolution is even up for debate. All people deserve safety, security, and stability on the land they were born on. It's not that complicated. My friend's grandma died in Gaza last month, in Gaza City, because she was too old to evacuate. She was unable to access over-the-counter medicine or any food. She died alone in her apartment. Your own grandmother being starved to death is something I can barely fathom, but it's a reality for many in Gaza today, with families trapped there. It's our duty to protect the elderly, it's our duty to protect children, but instead we're doing the very opposite in funding the genocidal forces committing these war crimes. Thank you. Um, thanks. Good morning. Good morning, County Commissioners. I'm Donald Ricard. I'm here to talk to you a little bit about finding a new place to live. I, I think that we need to solve America's problems before we solve anyone else's problems. And I currently live in Klamath County. I am looking for a new county to live in. I was born in the city of Portland, lived the majority of my life, all of it as a child in Oregon, Washington County. This is a, a tax statement from last year and this year. Last year, my t property tax was 8677. There has been no significant change to the property with the exception of a bulldozer that scraped the land. I own land, so it scraped clear some land, moved some rocks, that's it. This year, my property tax has been jumped up to $989.47. That is an increase of somewhere of like 800% with no significant change. If I move to Multnomah County, am I gonna receive the same kind of treatment? That is the question. Am I going to be able to access life-giving water? I live where there's an HOA for the last nine years they have kept me from the well, the community well, that is actually a half a mile, maybe a mile from my home. They have kept me from that water, life-giving water. This is an HOA that has the back of the county commissioners saying, don't give him water. We have video evidence to prove our facts. This is a county commissioner. I'm Donald Ricard. I'm the guy that was attacked by Dave Hensley, the chair county commissioner, in an open weekly business meeting. By the way, I'm crippled. Please don't attack me. I'm speaking. If I offend you, too damn bad. Thank you. These people are heinous. 
Dave Hinsley, the county commissioner chair, actually jumped out of his chair on video and attacked me. And nothing is being done about it. The attorney general is, I don't know what they're doing. The Department of Justice is looking into everything. It's been almost a year. It was June 20th and it's all on video. I need help with this. Thank you. We have one more uh, in-person testimony. It's lightning. Yes, my name is Lightning. I represent Lightning Super Creativity Humanity Lab X. I don't think you're going to end up doing any resolution. You're going to stall. You're going to wait. You're going to see what the Biden administration does. But you're not going to do it. That's what you're good at. You're not going to go against the Biden administration and what they want to do. You're not going to come up with any resolution. Just, just go ahead and say that. Now, as far as the former president, Donald Trump, they are really picking on you, my friend. Now, Elon Musk, let's face it, he's not gonna come up with that $450 million bond that he needs, so step right in and also use all his properties as collateral, go for the book rights, the movie deal rights, and also, Elon, we want True Social. We want that company. Have them put it all on the line, gamble it all, and let's end up taking it all from my good friend Donald J. Trump. You're going to lose it anyway. So why not end up letting your friends have it? You can't come up with the money. They're trying to financially assassinate you. And they're doing a good job, but let's face it, you're gonna sink, but you're still probably gonna end up being the president. So put it all on the line, be willing to lose everything to become the president, but remember at the end of the day, let Elon Musk and Lightning, your friends, end up with all your assets, Truth Social, the movie rights, the book writes, let your friends end up with it. So Elon, I'm asking you to step in right now, put up the bond, write that in to some deal before the 30 days, and let's own it all. Thank you, Elon. Thank you. We have uh, one more, um, one more uh, virtual testimony, Nancy Heiser. Nancy, uh, you're unmuted, you may begin. You have two minutes. Hey, I'm muted, thank you. You can hear me? Uh, yes, we can hear you. Perfect, thank you. Chair Vega-Peterson and commissioners, thank you for this opportunity. My name is Nancy Heiser. I live in Linton, where we've been active for more than 10 years advocating for community safety related to the dangers of the CEI hub. I served on the Rules Advisory Committee for SB 1567. I'm pleased that DEQ rules will make us safer but that will take up to 10 years and it solves only part of the problem. We must prevent problems, not just try to survive them and failing that, launch what would surely be significant posthumous legislation. The county has been an exceptional and dependable ally. Town halls, 
the seismic impact report, the suit against big oil, and the latest report on hazmat releases. We're grateful to be more knowledgeable. We're also increasingly frightened. Today, I ask you to step up again and be instrumental, proactive on this issue over which you have authority, risk bonding. The public's attention is on you. The state's eyes are on you, and that's not to be underestimated. Nobody wants the financial burden of billions of dollars of catastrophic damages, some of which will never recover if lives that are lost are considered. Other human and environmental impacts occur daily doing on, doing, due to ongoing releases of petrochemicals. Risk bonds would lessen those risks and address the more than 100 abandoned and decommissioned tanks. Risk bonds, as others have said, would encourage the facilities to act now. This would reduce life safety risks and harms that workers and residents live with daily. I thank you. Thank you. Uh, Madam Chair, this is all the public testimony you have today. I'll move on to R1. R1, approval of intergovernmental agreement with Wood Village for rectangular rapid flashing beacon enhancement pedestrian signal on Wood Village Boulevard. So moved. Commissioner Segman moves. Commissioner Myron seconds approval of R1. Good morning. All right. Uh, thank you, Chair Vega-Peterson and Commissioners. My name is Corey Wiesner. I am the Engineering Services Manager in Transportation within the Department of uh, Community Services. I'm here to ask you to approve the intergovernmental agreement with the City of Wood Village to construct a rectangular rapid flashing beacon, which really is just an uh, enhanced crossing at uh, Northeast Wood Village Boulevard. Uh, total cost for their project is estimated to be $300,000. Of that, the city obtained a grant to cover $250,000 of that, and the city will cover any additional costs in excess of that grant amount. Uh, the reason for the ask is this project includes design and construction uh, of that enhanced pedestrian signal and associated ADA ramps uh, to cross Northeast Wood Village Boulevard on the south side of the intersection with Northeast Riverwood Street. Uh, Wood Village Boulevard is a Multnomah County uh, maintained road, and this project will provide a safe crossing connecting uh, City of Wood Village's town center with new housing developments. At the end of the construction, the city will turn over the pedestrian signal and ADA ramps for the county to maintain. We have been successful uh, in the past with similar partnerships with the City of Wood Village. Uh, we appreciate your support and ask the commissioners to approve the intergovernmental agreement with the City of Wood Village to construct the rectangular rapid flashing beacon uh, enhanced pedestrian signal on Northeast Wood Village Boulevard. Uh, this concludes my presentation, and if you have any questions. Thank you, Corey. Um, did we have any public testimony on this item? Uh, yes, one public testimony, uh, Charles Johnson. Okay, if you wouldn't mind um, just sitting back and then we'll bring you back up to see if there are any board questions. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Bridge Crane, Charles Simka Johnson, and uh, best wishes to the 4,399 people of Wood Village as we prepare to get them 
intergovernmentally agreed with us for their $300,000, but not mentioned. When we look at R1, uh, it comes right above R2, and R1, uh, the reason I bring this up is like, every citizen, I think, is interested in the fiduciary responsibility of their government and uh, both competence and at least the appearance of competence. So I feel like I'm not alone that inside those, uh, among those 4,300 Wood Villagians, they look and they'd be like, we're doing a $300,000 traffic signal that requires two governments to have a long agreement. <laughs> uh, one of the subparts has 19 parts. When it comes to people dying from lack of ambulances, we only have $167,000 on the table under R2. Um, so, you know, we don't know how low or traumatized public confidence in the government was during the time that the American government was killing 50,000 soldiers so we could mess around over in Vietnam. But I feel like we're getting down to the low point of public confidence in government. And I think that would be improved if, I know you have legislative duties and there's uh, T's to be crossed and T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted. But uh, maybe instead of at the end, of having board comment, and, and sometimes you talk about things, uh, but uh, just to be knowing that we're probably, at the odds are there were like 15,000 level zero incidents last in a calendar year, and when I come into my county commission meeting, a $30,000 traffic signal, a $300,000 traffic signal is prioritized over $167,000 of, I think, studies, plan, plan assessments. Uh, for those of uh, people of faith here, the trauma in Gaza and trauma locally. God help us for those who believe. Thank you. All right. We'll now go to the board for any questions or comments. So we'll start with Commissioner Myron. Uh, no questions. Thank you. Commissioner Beeson? None. Uh, Brim Edwards? No questions. Segment? Thank you, Chair. No questions. Just wanted to thank Corey uh, for, for their work. And then also to let you know that City Manager uh, Greg Dirks wanted to send his uh, appreciation for us taking on this. And if you don't know where Wood Village is, it's like one square mile in East Multnomah County. And not too long ago, the county just put in sidewalks. So this is just another addition. Uh, many uh, people of color, very diverse community, a very walkable community now because of the sidewalks that we put in and now putting in this, this rapid flashing beacon will just be another feather in our cap to encourage you know, more out outdoor activity, more safety for the residents that live there. Uh, and so uh, Amuktuk was, uh, which is the East Multnomah County Transportation Committee, was proud to support this grant. So Congratulations to Wood Village. I can't wait until the, the beacon is put in. Thank you, Corey. Thank you. I just want to uh, share my appreciation as well for this work. I think it's um, really uh, an important thing whenever we're putting in uh, additional safety features to make um, our neighborhoods more walkable. Um, it serves so many public health um, purposes, and um, this is a really great project. So appreciate that. I don't have any questions. Um, so can we have a roll call vote? Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Yes. Commissioner Brem Edwards? Yes. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The intergovernmental agreement is approved. Thank you. Chair, I would like to submit an item for unanimous consent consideration. 
All right, um, we have a motion on the table for a unanimous consent consideration. Um, Jenny, can you explain what the procedure would be for unanimous consent consideration? Yes, Chair, thank you. Um, a matter can be heard by unanimous consent if any member of the board um, makes that motion at the board meeting, as Commissioner Myron has done. It will require two votes. The first vote is to hear the matter, and that requires a majority of all commissioners present, so three or more, to vote in favor of hearing the matter. If that passes, then we hear the matter and have discussion and public comment. And then upon a roll call vote, if all commissioners present vote in favor of the matter, it passes. If we have anything less than unanimous consent, it does not pass. Okay, thank you. So do we have any other um, folks who wanna consider the matter? So I'll, I'll, I'm, gonna second, oh, oh. I'm gonna second the motion so that we can have discussion. Okay, and do you wanna describe your motion? Yes, thank you. Um, my motion is uh, to um, is to offer a resolution that uh, urges the sorry I'm pulling it up right now um, that uh, urges the county it's sorry put it right there that is urging the county chair to uh, exercise her authority to uh, temporarily change the ambulance staffing model. Okay, thank you. So we have one other um, person who is um, seconded to consider. Is there anyone else? No. And so. No, we need, we need a, another person. I, I don't no, think actually, for discussion. I can, I can advise on the procedure, Please. Madam Chair. Um, we have a motion from uh, Commissioner Myron and we have a second from Commissioner Brim Edwards. Now we can have discussion about whether to consider the matter, okay. not the content of the matter itself, but Thank whether you. to consider the matter. And then once the vote is called, we'll need a majority of commissioners present to vote yes. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Into. All right. So we have now, we're open for discussion on consideration of the matter. So. Go ahead, Commissioner Brim Edwards. I uh, have brought this resolution because uh, I have, as I've expressed um, for about a year now, uh, I am very concerned about the fact that every day that we are not increasing the availability of ambulances on our streets to uh, get to people in crisis, that that is putting lives at risk. I believe it has likely resulted potentially in death at this point, but at the very least significant harm by ambulances not being available to respond. And um, I, I, I apologize for yeah. interrupting. I do apologize. But right now we're discussing whether or not unanimous consent items should be heard. Okay. And so um, items in the normal course would have been noticed to the public last week and would be on a regular board agenda. And so this is a unanimous consent item. So this is the opportunity for the board just to talk about whether or not they want to hear an item by unanimous consent. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Um, I guess I have made every effort to bring this item to the board agenda using the regular uh, approach and filing all the forms and dotting I's and crossing T's. And uh, there is plenty of time on the agenda this week. This is in an emergency uh, where each day lives are at risk. And um, it was refused to be on the agenda. 
And so I am seeking to uh, elevate it here so that we can have this urgent, important conversation uh, now and hopefully save however many lives by the time it ultimately could be heard in the normal course of things because it has been refused. Thank you. Any other, any other discussion on the consideration of the item? Yes, um, I would like to um, support this um, resolution or the, the motion to hear it today, and I'm going to speak to the urgency. Um, first of all, we have in our board minutes or our, the board resolutions around um, how we operate is that the chair, each commissioner, the sheriff, the district attorney, the auditor, and the department directors may place matters on a board meeting agenda. And there's a requirement of how we, we do that. And I believe that Commissioner Myron um, met those requirements. And again, there's space on the agenda. And I think it should, it should be on today's agenda. Um, I, I'm concerned about the interpretation that the, somehow if we follow what is the procedure that we can place um, items on the agenda, that we're going to be disenfranchising um, the members, the community members who live in each of the districts and today disenfranchising District 1 uh, voters. Um, I believe that if we don't take this up today and we only consider the matter um, before us um, in the next agenda item, which is 100,000 100, something uh, contract, to study something, to make an assessment that's going to take 18 months, the county will appear completely out of touch with what's happening. In January, and speaking to the urgency of why we should consider this today, in January there were 2,900 zero incidents, um, and the average wait time exceeded 28 minutes for ambulance service, um, therefore um, necessitating action today from the county commission. Um, the city of Portland and the city of Gresham have adopted resolution calling on the county chair to take action and improve response times. I've also heard from the fire chiefs from Portland and Gresham that they need our support today and the public needs our help. So I would hope that we would consider this and not just consider the, the next agenda item, which is 18-month assessment. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm planning on supporting that because I think it's the right it's the right thing to do. But I also think the county needs to take action now, and we have an opportunity today. And I feel like um, Commissioner Myron has followed the rules to bring something forward. So I'm going to be supportive. Thank you. Um, I, I would like to see if there's any other discussion for folks who have not had a chance to speak yet. Thank you, Chair. Um, I will not be supporting this resolution. Uh, I feel that we'll have the opportunity to discuss uh, with our staff today as we address the ambulance service plan, and I think that there are uh, better avenues to work more collaboratively, and I believe that we all want better outcomes, and that's what I will be striving for. Thank you. Mr. Reeson, any? Okay, thank you. I just want to clarify that um, I think it's important to have the discussion, so I am hopeful that someone will at least offer uh, a third vote to bring the actual resolution for discussion. I note that we have uh, uh, Fire Chief Gillespie in, um, in the House who could speak. We have AMR represented who can speak. Uh, we have Aaron Monig who could speak to this, Paul, Dr. Paul Lewis. 
uh, Dr. Bruno. We have all of the players here, and so I don't know why we would postpone this um, and what the benefit would be, whereas for even just having the discussion, and especially as we've heard from, we have resolutions from City of Portland City Council, Gresham City Council, fire chiefs um, in Gresham and Portland Fire and Rescue, three of our East County mayors. Most recently yesterday I received um, from our fire uh, district, a rural fire district in East County, the desperate need to do this. And I don't know what would, what could possibly be important enough to prevent even the public discourse to have the conversation here on this board today. And in terms of avenues to work more collaboratively, uh, I have been bringing this up to fellow commissioners, uh, to the chair for a year. I have um, offered it through the usual channels, every possible channel I could imagine to have this on the agenda in the way that I would think that board members would be given the respect if they are requesting an agenda item to be put on the agenda. And so not having, I have done, in my view, above and beyond in terms of collaboratively trying to engage and have this conversation. I think when faced as an emergency physician, sworn to do no harm, I worked a shift last Saturday in the emergency department and have all the colleagues here bringing patients to me urgently, knowing this response time is over average over 28 minutes. It was shocking to me that the county has not taken action. And so I feel at the very least public discourse about this when we have the time and can have the conversation um, is not an unreasonable ask. Commissioner Beeson. Yeah, I, I, uh, I will speak to the, to the motion to whether to hear something. You know, I was reading the charter and the charter is very clear about the authority of the chair and very clear that a board exists, but there's no job description for us commissioners. I do feel like when the Charter Commission uh, is brought together again, that looking for clarity around the role of the board um, in policymaking is something that we should look to. I don't, I, I, we're gonna talk about uh, ambulance stuff in just a little bit, but I do think there's an opportunity for us and or future boards to look at the Charter and see if the, if the chair needs clarity about how fellow commissioners engage in this policymaking stuff. I think that's I think that's a perfectly worthy endeavor, um, but uh, that's to to the point about whether or not we should consider this. Um, I think that public notice is incredibly important. I think that creating an environment for all perspectives to be represented in that public um, meeting or work session is incredibly important, and thus the threshold for unanimous consent agenda item ought to be very high, um, and I don't think we've reached it. Thanks. Okay, thank you. And you know, I, I appreciate the comment about the lack of clarity. You know, this was something that we that um, I have looked at, and 
Now, per board rules, the chair is responsible for um, supervising agenda preparation, and, and that is a lot of things, right? Um, the documents being approved by the county attorney, the timeline that we have set up for things to be um, sent to the board clerk for um, adequate notice, making sure that there's time on the agendas for discussion and deliberation, um, that there is notice to the public um, on topics that were going to be discussed. Um, expectations for departments or for commissioner's office who are bringing forward proposals to develop, vet, and familiarize the board with those proposals. Um, and, you know, we've been trying to very, very um, uh, diligently to make sure that we are being um, more clearly communicating both that process and the expectations of timelines. I know Jenny Madcor sent an email to the Chiefs of Staff earlier this week outlining the understanding for the process and timelines of getting things on the board agenda. Um, I know uh, my Chief of Staff, Jenny Smith, sent something out to all of our departments about uh, our timelines and expectations for having materials ahead of time in order to consider. Um, the resolution that um, Commissioner Myron circulated last week about temporary changes to the ambulance staffing, um, I have heard requests from commissioners about receiving additional information through a work session with AMR before the board formally considers any temporary change to the contract. It is a, it is a huge step for um, this board or for me as the executive Multnomah, Multnomah County to override the medical direction of a, of a Multnomah County um, staff. And I think that's something that requires um, um, very thorough deliberation as well as um, a lot of public um, conversation about it. Um, I have requested that AMR come and attend one of our board um, work sessions in March so we can continue this conversation and have this, and I'm hopeful that they will um, take us up on that to, to continue, this, continue this conversation. Um, I, I think the matter before us today is a really um, important step um, that reflects the complexity of what um, we, our current situation. It also reflects the, the um, thoroughness that we need to do. Um, I will say that, um, and, and to the urgency, I will say that um, AMR has been out of compliance with their contract for over two years. We have been working with them during that time to try to align them um, to provide different um, pilot programs, different um, actions that we needed to see from them. We have not had that. Um, um, we have not had the been successful in, in having them um, take some of those steps. And so I do, while I do agree that this is an urgent issue um, overall, I, I think that there has been um, a lot of time given um, to to folks, and and therefore we shouldn't be rushed into being um, to losing some of our deliberation and process because of that. Right. I just want to, um, because I've been a person who has regularly um, noted that we've gotten materials about super important issues late, um, like the the day before or the morning of. Um, and so I feel like there's a double, I just want to call it the, a double standard. I appreciate that um, there's going to be a new process that the board gets its materials on time. But we have, over the last six months, regularly had major issues brought to us, or briefings, where we got the material literally the day before. And of course, the community not having it either. And I think the implication was that somehow this this material didn't follow the normal process, but there is a very clear process, and I believe it was shared. The choice was just made not to put it on the agenda, but it, it could have been on the agenda, and the public could have had plenty of opportunity to see it. So I, I, I want to be just clear that this did follow the, the regular process of getting materials um, 
in on time and they could have been posted so the public could seen it and we could have had everybody here and had a discussion about it. And so this is more of a, like a, pro a process issue versus like regardless of where people land on the content because um, I think that's a, a legitimate um, issue that and the issues you raised. Um, but this is a process question and I don't think we should have two standards, one for for staff um, and one another one for commissioners um, because if, if the issue is it's not a process issue it's just the content not wanting to be discussed this morning I appreciate that and as I said we are diligently working to make sure that the standards are in place and everybody understands what the expectations are of getting materials in but I appreciate that and and just to add to that I appreciate Commissioner Brim Edwards bringing up those points because I was um, going to mention both of those things, the fact that items are regularly late getting to us at the last minute as board members and for the public, virtually everything that we get for our board meetings. Um, and I've gotten this to commissioners a couple of weeks ago and have been talking to fellow commissioners about this for over a year and the public. Um, I also want, and submitted everything, as I mentioned, in time, dotting I's, crossing T's, um, working with our county attorney who has been very, very helpful and doing it all right and still it is refused for uh, board agenda even when we have extensive time. Um, but my also, you know, I have to raise, it, it just um, literally feels like a stab in the gut when we are talking about lives and then pivoting to contracts. It's like a automatic deflection that is so not connected with the reality of what is happening on our streets that it, it just, uh, it's very upsetting. And when, when, Chair, you say we shouldn't be rushed into deliberation about this, I brought this up to you literally a year ago and Everything you are, will be talking about, everything that is in the plan that was submitted could have happened any time over the past year if this was considered an emergency and it wasn't. So I just um, am very, this is a thing with my kids, I guess, that I said they hate it more. They'd rather um, I be angry with them than disappointed. And I'm just gonna say I am so disappointed about the fact that this is not treated with urgency and as if we are treat talking about lives because with this, time is measured in lives and every day we're delaying is um, points to that. So thank you. Um, thank you for allowing this time to discuss. I think it was required so um, I I'm just disappointed hey thank you so it does not sound like we have enough um, so madam chair the next if uh, discussion is completed then you can call the vote and we'll need three votes in order to move to hear the unanimous consent item okay. all right could I ask a few questions? I just wanted to ensure that, so there is a briefing uh, that is scheduled or will be scheduled? Yeah, for March. 
for March, okay. So, uh, you know, I just wanna be clear, like I'm not uh, voting against or for a particular solution. What I'm uh, voting for is the opportunity to have my multiple questions answered before I can make a, 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 a meaningful decision. And I do not have that data available to me. So I hope that AMR uh, will participate. I, I know that our team will participate. Uh, so it's just, I don't have all the data that I need to make an informed decision today. So just for clarity, so we're having a briefing from ANR and then we're gonna have, an, uh, Commissioner Myron's um, resolution will be on the agenda at a, at a future meeting after that. So we're having, we're having a work session based on the, um, the com commissioner saying that they wanted to have a further conversation about this and then we can have consideration of the, of the resolution. So um, I guess did the request to have that, did that go through the normal agenda placement offer? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just concerned. We have a process if you want to place something on the agenda. So was there like a formal request to put that on the agenda? So I'm, and Because that would be what we're de described as how we would do it. So I'm, if, we, if we're doing that because of a request from a commissioner, I would hope that the also the agenda item that was brought forward through the approved process would also be placed on the agenda. So as the chair, I get to set um, when, when things are going to be scheduled. And so it was me acting in my authority as chair that um, invited AMR to, to come to a work session. Okay, I thought you said earlier because you said commissioners asked for it to be on the agenda. I'm just <clears throat> trying to clarify again how we do that because <clears throat> in the resolution and in our board rules, it says that um, here's the process which we, you follow to get things on the agenda. And I just want to clarify how, how that got on the agenda and then how Commissioner Myron's resolution will get on the agenda at a, first, a future meeting, or are you saying you're not gonna schedule it? No, I'm saying that anytime, I mean, I we have conversations all the time in one-on-ones and in meetings, people say like, I'd be interested in hearing a briefing on this, or I'd be interested in having a update on this. And I take that into consideration, and as we're look, working on the schedule, on when things are gonna be scheduled, we schedule them, I work with my chief of staff, I work with, um, the rest of the team with the departments if necessary to get things on the agenda. Um, it's the same with like the budget notes, right? We have budget notes that we have to put on the agenda and we have to schedule out. Um, commissioners ask for budget notes or they ask for a budget uh, a briefing and they, they get put on the agenda at the, at the time when we have. So that, that's just, just kind of how we make the agenda. I, but I guess I'm gonna go back to a, at a future date after we have that briefing. Um, because Commissioner Myron's gone through the process? Yes. Will we, oh, yes. we place it on a future board meeting agenda? Yes. And then there can be plenty of time for the public to come and yes. we can have a robust discussion. Again, not speaking to the content of the resolution, but just the, the ability to have yes. a discussion. Thank you. All right. So can we have a vote on the consideration of the um, unanimous consent item? Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? No. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Yes. Commissioner Stegman? No. Chair Vega Peterson? No, the unanimous consent motion fails. We'll now move on to R2.
R2, budget modification HD 01124, appropriate $167,086 from contingency for ambulance service plan assessment. So moved. I'll second. <laughs> Commissioner Stegman moves, Commissioner Beeson seconds, approval of R2. All right, so as we have our presenters today for consideration, so as they're coming down to the table, I wanted to set some context around this presentation and the decision point that's in front of the board with this agenda item. Issues with ambulance services that affect our entire community are important to me, as I know that they are to colleagues on this board. I appreciate our shared commitment to putting a system in place that provides the best possible outcomes for Multnomah County residents. There continue to be questions and discussions about the merit, feasibility, potential consequences, and impacts of changes to our ambulance staffing model. There also continue to be critical questions and demands for AMR, our ambulance service provider, to demonstrate they are exhausting all available avenues to improve staffing and response times in accordance with the responsibilities of their contract. I acknowledge that there are some differences of opinion on our board on this topic broadly. It is clear to me that there are a number of significant policy issues, appropriate staffing, required ambulance response times, the formal and informal roles of fire agencies, just for examples, that our board, jurisdictional partners, and other stakeholders want to reevaluate. And the appropriate and responsible process for that scale of evaluation, examining these big fundamental system elements, is an assessment of our ambulance service plan. To do that full picture analysis, the ambulance service plan assessment process is the appropriate tool. And we should start now, because it is, by nature and necessity, an in-depth process. Starting now will equip us with the kind of thoughtful, thorough anal analysis we need in order to consider any significant changes to major elements in our ambulance service system. And in the meantime, in the meantime I want to be clear that initiating this work does not preclude this board from discussing debating or considering other approaches. This is not an either or situation. This is a piece of work. It is something that we should begin immediately as we continue to explore other options and engage in other conversations. My priority is and will continue to be that our community is safe and healthy and that emergency services are available to everyone who needs them as we continue to address this situation. I will now turn it over to our EMS team to walk through the contingency funding request in front of us today. Good morning. Good morning, hello chair and board of commissioners. I wanna thank you for having me here today and for having the opportunity leading up to today to brief you and answer questions. My name is Aaron Monning and I'm the EMS administrator for the county. I'm here today with my boss, Dr. Bruno, the Multnomah County Health Officer and with Dr. Lewis, the former county health officer and current deputy health officer. Do I have slides? I'll wait till the slides yeah. are up. Yeah, so Marina, you're bringing up. them up. <laughs> Thank you. Next, next slide. Today I'm gonna to cover some background on the county's current ambulance service plan to give some background on the budget request in front of you today. The request is to reassess the current plan and the EMS system under the current plan. 
To be clear, the request is for contingency funds to be allocated $167,000 this fiscal year that will fund a dedicated position to this project and the expenses related to an EMS industry consultant. Next slide. The previous plan, or the current plan, was assessed in 2015 to 2016 through a similar process. That assessment led to revisions of the plan, which were approved by the board in December of 2016. That updated plan was filed and approved by the state and a subsequent pro procurement for the services that started September 1st of 2018. Next slide. I appreciate the time we've had to brief each of you and your staff about the ambulance service plan. I'm gonna give some brief background on the ambulance service plan again. What it is, what we're asking you to support today, the ambulance service plan in Multnomah County is an ordinance, specifically ordinance 1238. It is a statutorily required document that describes what and how the emergency medical service system will operate within the county. The document itself is publicly available and can be found on the Multnomah County EMS webpage along with county code, EMS administrative rules, treatment protocols, and much other information about our EMS system. It has required components of information that describe the system. Those requirements come from state statutes and rules. The ASP is not a contract with any of the providers who actually perform the work. In addition, the ASP our county has is further clarified by county code and administrative rules. Right now, we're here talking about assessing the base foundational document that structures our EMS system. This picture, the gray box or the gray uh, triangle at the top is all of the subsequent work that comes once a revision or changes to that base plan occur. So we're just talking about the middle section. Next slide. This slide shows some of the required components of what must be included in an ambulance service plan. In 2016, we talked much about the pillars of an EMS system. Components of today's system are being questioned due to multiple factors, changes in healthcare, changes in reimbursement rates, changes in availability of people, discussions about speed, level, and quality of providers, and quality of care. These are great debates. EMS as an industry continues to debate these same things with communities making different decisions. There's a saying in EMS, if you've seen one EMS system, you've seen one. These components set the requirement for the EMS system services, bringing in an external consultant and dedicated personnel to perform this work will ensure it moves both quickly and as externally objectively as possible. Next slide. Based on our experience in 2016, the assessment and evaluation of the current state of the EMS system, the ASP, the newest industry best practices, compiling them and getting input and engagement of county stakeholders and then presenting recommendations for change will take between six and nine months. We have multiple jurisdictional partners and their provider agencies who perform all of the work that makes up the county EMS system. 
The assessment would have a completion that includes items that would come back to this board as policy recommendations and potential changes. Today we're here requesting the specific funding to support doing this work to start this process. That funding will help hire and pay for the remainder of the year a dedicated staff person for this that will still need to be hired. It will permit the program to get an external consultant on board and be the external industry expert to help us understand and consider things we, our partners, and even you may not currently have considered or be doing in this EMS system. Next slide. To reiterate what this request is, again, this request is specifically contingency funding to be allocated to the work of an ASP assessment to start now. Typically, this assessment would not have occurred for another two years. We are faced with the need to fully explore the current plan and consider impacts and alterations to what we currently have. The product at the end of this assessment is to recommend policy decisions back to the board for consideration. And that is the last slide I have. All right, thank you. And you are here for, to an help answer questions. Thank we you. We are here to answer questions and I think there may be comment on this. All right, yes, yeah. so we will go to public comment on this item and then we will return to the board for questions and comments. So if you could just stay close. Um, we received uh, six verbal testimonies and two written testimonies. Sorry, we received seven verbal testimonies and two written testimonies on this um, item. I'll call four people at a time. Please come forward at the dais. Uh, Linda Gordon, Micah Fullerton, Scott Lewis, and Jeremy Abbott. If your name has been called, you are welcome to come on down. Good morning, you can begin. Me? Mm -hmm. Hi, my name is Micah Fullerton. I'm a current firefighter paramedic in the city of Portland. I'm here today as a former employee of AMR to shed some light on the root causes of the current staffing crisis. First, I wanna talk about an April 5th, 2022 email from the general manager of AMR to his own employees. For context, this is after AMR got the extension contract with the county. They're now negotiating a contract with her employees. In this email, the general manager admits to removing union letters from company mailboxes and defacing union message boards. A ULP was filed against the company, and in this email, he threatens to file a counter ULP, not against the union, but against these members individually. And he says, quote, line up your attorneys. Randy Lauer, the general manager, and AMR generally has a long history of intimidating, belittling, and threatening their own employees. Needless to say, during this time, that was a low point as far as morale goes with the company. Later, a contract was agreed on between AMR and its workforce. What medics most wanted was clear contract language that allowed them to go home at the end of their shift, a 12-hour shift, which sometimes turned into a 13- or 14-hour shift because they're kept on to run more calls, burns people out, and you're not given a lunch break on most days. Crews are worked to exhaustion. Well, medics got the contract language that they wanted, but the company asked for a six-month pause on enacting the end-of-shift language when the six months were up, the, com the company said, we're just not going to enact it. The company is not in compliance with county contract or the contract with their own employees today. More medics are leaving AMR to work in other agencies, agencies that will treat them better and do treat them better. I am one of these people. 
A long career at AMR is just not sustainable for most people given the company's toxic work environment brought on by Randy Lauer and other individuals. They belittle their employees, they refuse to follow contract, and they don't put a priority on safeguarding the mental and physical well-being of their workforce. The EMS system is breaking because we, paramedics don't want to work for AMR in Multnomah County. Breaking up the dual medics seems like an easy and quick solution, but does not address the root cause. Thank you for con your consideration on this issue. Thank you. Good morning. Hi, my name is Jeremy Abbott. I'm a paramedic, frontline paramedic in Multnomah County. Um, first of all, I just wanted to discuss a little bit about why we support what we're trying to do with the new plan. 80% uh, of my coworkers are currently in opposition of changing to the single medic role. As Mike has stated, numerous people have been leaving and will continue to leave if that changes. AMR responds to probably 50, 60% of these emergencies, critical calls, without another paramedic from the fire department resource. Having two medics there to support that is critical for the people of Multnomah County. Uh, our system is broken. Diving into this, how we can fix things is critical. Uh, the concern about the fallacy of being reactionary and changing the system immediately to what is perceived as crisis is out of line. Our levels, our response times have improved significantly recently. Uh, we've got BLS cars available that are helping with this. And if the fire agencies and our team communicate better together, that also is going to alleviate the stress on the ALS ambulances to respond to your family's critical need. Uh, as far as the people of Multnomah County goes and our Multnomah County EMS, I would really just ask you guys to take heed to what they are proposing to dive into a long-term solution for the people of Multnomah County. Uh, one other question one of my colleagues asked me to ask, Sharon specifically, is you're so concerned about this, however, you have not spoken to any of the frontline paramedics who are actually in the field doing this every single day. I, I excuse me, I appreciate the question, but this, I, I appreciate the question. We don't engage in um, back and forth, but I'm sure that the commissioner will be happy to talk to you after this. Thank you. All right. Uh, checking again for Linda Gordon and um, Scott Lewis is virtual. Uh, Scott, one second. Scott, you are unmuted. You just have to uh, unmute on your end and then you may begin. Mayor Peterson, members of the uh, County Commission. Uh, I originally had signed up as <clears throat> for not agenda items to speak about the staffing. And then uh, uh, staff has put us all here to, while you talk about the ambulance service plan. In 2015-2016, uh, as the plan was being developed, county EMS did not include the fire agencies at the table. It was good to hear Aaron this morning say that he has other stakeholders to be included. Last time we got to see the table, when we came to a county commission meeting and spoke during public comment, that said we had been excluded from the process. I represent the Gresham Fire Department as its fire chief, and we respond to fire medical emergencies in the East County, which include Fairview, Wood Village, Troutdale, and Unincorporated Fire District 10. Our response times are always the lowest in the county because we are the furthest away from the core hospitals. But we also have the greatest diversity in the county, including people of color and those that are underserved. But yet the county system allows for us to be uh, uh, 
served less than the rest of the county as part of the contract. So we were at the, at the leading edge of the crisis long before everybody else. So my ask would be that when you have this review, and with that review, you're going to look at the system, that the fire agencies get, part, get to be part of the question, the answers and the solutions. I've read the chair's comments that uh, it, comes, it becomes incumbent on the fire services to make changes in order for the system to work. I've had no conversation with anybody from Multnomah County EMS or the chair's office. And then finally, I'm also a member of the RRCCR, which is the... Uh, uh, Time is up. Please. Thank you. The CCRRC, the Commun Contract Compliance Review and Recommendation Committee, has not met. My only speculation is county EMS is afraid of the recommendations that would come forth from that committee. We're responsible for reviewing the contract compliance. Uh, sorry, time call. is up. I'm going to go ahead and um, you your device. Your Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, next, we have Timothy Malwan, uh, Ryan Gillespie, and Jared Essig. And one last call for Linda Gordon. Good morning. Good morning. You can begin. Uh, good morning, Chair Vega Peterson, County Commissioners. My name is Ryan Gillespie, Fire Chief for Portland Fire and Rescue. Uh, I do support the proposed assessment of the ambulance service plan. I was also appreciative of Mr. Monick's statement that the stakeholders would be included. Um, as Chief Lewis stated, we were excluded from this process in the past. Um, I also want to reiterate my support for the temporary immediate change to the current ambulance service plan to allow one paramedic and one EMT basic to respond on AMR ambulances. Multnomah County has legal authority over emergency medical transport. Emergency medical transport in Multnomah, Count in Multnomah County is currently a sinking ship. <clears throat> you are captains of this ship. It is important to look at how the hole was created, to look at how we can prevent future holes in the, in the future. Uh, and that will be done by a reassessment of the ambulance service plan, and I appreciate that move. However, that hole must be patched right away with the tools and equipments that we have available. There is a proposal in front of you, uh, not, at, not at the meeting today, but there is a proposal to make a temporary shift to a one-on-one -on -one model that will allow, uh, that will allow operating ambulance transport medics within the within Multnomah County to get people to the higher level of care that they need uh, at, at the hospital. Uh, again, I implore you to do both of these tracks to not only uh, to not only review and assess the current plan, but to immediately act to make a change to provide the critical service to our community. And finally, I'll just say uh, I will make myself available at any time uh, for any of you or your offices if you have questions or want to hear further about the perspective of Portland Fire Bureau. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, commissioners. My name is Tim Molman. I have over 25 years of EMS experience working through the ranks starting as an EMR. Currently, I'm a paramedic serving Multnomah County under AMR in a shop store with Teamsters Local 223. Presently, I reside in the Brooklyn neighborhood, and for over 20 years, I've called Portland home. Sadly, that may have to change because continuing with AMR is no longer a sustainable career, and the working class is being priced out of the area. I stand, stand before you today as a member of our community and not a representative of any agency or organization. 
I applaud the chair in having the maturity to see past AMR's propaganda and standing up to the bullying coming out of Mr. Lauer's office. Myself and many other medics in this room have been recipients of similar bullying and gaslighting for standing up for better working conditions. It is time for change. Our EMS professionals deserve better. Our community deserves better. Allocating these funds is the first step in creating an EMS system that serves the people, not only the profit margin. On the surface, removing the two paramedic requirements sounds like a quick logical fix to the current paramedic shortage. This only treats the symptoms and not the underlying disease. EMS systems across the nation are failing. We keep hearing about the national paramedic shortage. AMR is a national company. Their treatment of EMS providers has created this crisis. EMS providers are no longer willing to be accomplices in such broken systems. Today, you have the opportunity, opportunity to take the first steps in positive change for our communities. Reducing the quality of care your neighbor, your friend, your family receive is a step in the wrong direction and will only exacerbate more EMS providers leaving our community. Contrary to what you've been told, Commissioner Myron, our fire partners do not respond to every medical emergency in this county. Clinics, hospitals, and skilled nursing facilities are some of the places fire has stopped responding to. This is in response to their own staffing shortage. That stemming out of Kaiser Interstate, ambulance only. Anaphylaxis out of a Zoom care, ambulance only. A trauma transfer, a gunshot victim from Mount Hood Hospital, ambulance only. Why are you considering risking the lives of our neighbors to satisfy the unquenchable thirst for profit of private equity? Your medics look forward to working with you and the EMS office in creating a cutting edge progressive system that places the patients first, driven by values that support positive healing growth for all in our community. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good morning, Commissioner Patterson, Chair Patterson, Commissioners, citizens and public servants of Multnomah County. Uh, my name is Jared Essig and I am a, um, I'm a citizen who was present at the Portland City Council meeting last Wednesday when they devoted about an hour to discussion of Commissioner Myron's proposal. Uh, a full hour to it I heard from the fire chief, from neighborhood council presidents and I don't see why you should devote any less than that. In fact, people are already dis are, are are in fact now responding to Commissioner Iron's agenda item now, and that's why you have to consider it. For I know I can't comment on the substance of it, but what I heard is that Clackamas and Washington County both have a one paramedic model, and the change to the ambulance response model um, uh, is not out, out of line with what is uh, best practice in the rest of the country. There's a national paramedic shortage. Maybe AMR is responsible for that because of a toxic work environment. I don't know. Let's hear from the paramedics. Let's hear from the fire chiefs. Let's discuss it in public comment. Now, two weeks ago, I shut this place down as an unlawful assembly, and I'm glad that you gave yourselves a dispersal order rather than having me arrested for refusing to leave the dais. The reason I did that is because you did not provide public notice on your public message board of your agenda. Now, you ought to be doing that, and I thank your staff for coming to compliance on that point. Um, you did have a lot of pro-terrorist propaganda on your board, which I refuted, and now your staff have made a notice saying this is for county notices only, and I appreciate that. I think it should be only for, count, for county notices and not for propaganda from activists like me. By the way, if you want to cease fire, stop the war against Israel. Very simple, and let's stop funding the Palestinian Authority's Martyrs Fund and subsidizing its pay-to-slave program. Uh, 
So I object to its consideration of Commissioner Stegman's proposal prior to consideration of this emergency matter. I want to hear from the fire chiefs. I want to hear from the Gresham and Portland City Council. And, you know, rather than hiring an outside consultant to give you a policy recommendation, do your job and get a policy recommendation from the experts here. Now, Commissioner Beeson has said you, that this, this could be a charter commission reform in the future, and it should be. That is all the public testimony. Thank you. So we will go to the board for questions for um, for our um, for the panelists. So you can come back up here. And we will start with Commissioner Beeson. I uh, I'm looking forward to the work session uh, where we where I will have lots of questions. I think like Commissioner Stegman, there's there's a lot to do, and and I know and I don't want to put you all on the spot to answer questions for all different parts of the system. Uh, before I take it local, I do want to use uh, this chance on the last day of Black History and Futures Month to recognize, honor, and thank the Freedom House Ambulance Service. Beginning in the 1960s, this all-black team effectively launched the paramedics profession itself and created the model for local ambulance and emergency response systems that we still use today. Before their work, emer emergency medical response was haphazard, slapshot, and highly racialized to the detriment and death of mostly black Americans. And this black crew pioneered several medical developments and technologies, including the introduction of medical physicians to ambulance work allowing medics to transmit EKGs, using air casts to stabilize injured bones and joints, and even administering Narcan to overdose patients. Its leaders established the National Registry of Emergency Medical Technicians to formalize the field, an organization that still lives on today. I am grateful to them for that work and the countless lives that they saved and our paramedics save every day. Now on to the topic. I support passing this bud mod to open the ambulance service plan. Since taking on this role and more urgent, urgently as Commissioner Myron and others have turned the heat up on this issue, both my staff and I have endeavored to meet with many stakeholders in the MS system. As a result, I've gained a deeper insight into some of the many perspectives and I still feel like there's more to learn. We all agree that our current situation is untenable, unacceptable, and dangerous. Where opinions diverge is what we ought to do about it, when, and at what costs to the county, our EMS system partners, and public health. And opinions don't just diverge among us commissioners and city council members, they differ among medical experts, EMS professionals, and fire departments. People with deep expertise are of differing minds. As I said last week, when it comes to providing a public good, whether it's housing development or ambulance services, I can be a skeptic of private actors. The chance at a profit can be a powerful motivator for effectiveness, efficiency, and filling the needs and wants of marketplaces. It can also shortchange workers and customers' health and wealth, stymie equity, and ruin a planet. So when AMR is failing to provide adequate service in neighboring counties and across the country, with differing models, and just a quick Google search will show that. I would like better context for why that is. What is a product of the larger stresses across EMS systems, and what is the product of business decisions? 
I cannot speak for my fellow commissioners, but I have been given very little insight into this question. I do want to thank the chair for pressing AMR to do more to deliver on the promises they made on a contract they signed just a year ago. I also want to acknowledge uh, that Commissioner Myron has been asking for more attention on this issue for a while. I don't discount for one minute her expertise in this broad area of emergency medical care. I hope I get to learn more from it. I also hear the call loud and clear to change AMR staffing via emergency. While I've met with AMR one-on-one -on -one once, and they've certainly talked to media and others plenty, we've had no meaningful public work session involving AMR and all EMS partners. I think that's a missed opportunity for better policymaking. It may be that opening up this ASP gets us that soon. Regardless, I do not think I'm prepared to consider an emergency move to the one-on-one model unless and until we do so, and unless and until there's a broader understanding by myself, the public and EMS partners, including the workers themselves, about the upsides, downsides, and complexity of doing so. I would urge us to do that in the coming weeks. I have no questions. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Brim Edwards. So uh, uh, two parts. I have um, some questions, and then after we go through the questions, I have a comment before we have a final vote. Go ahead. Great. Just keep them separate. Um, so I'll just start with my questions. Thanks for the presentation. I appreciate the briefing um, I had the other day from the, the full team. Um, just a question about just uh, process, uh, because I think um, there's the contract and then the plan. And just to be clear from the uh, for, for the broader public, if if we we could change the with. OHA's approval, the ambulance plan to change the staffing aspect of the current plan, correct? We've been working with OHA about what impacts we may have if we change a single component, like staffing only, um, and we continue to work with OHA. So if at the, the end of the assessment, the decision is that we're gonna change one component and not the whole thing, we would work with OHA at what the requirements are related to one change versus multiple changes. And they, they are ultimately the decision maker on. But just to clarify that the staffing model is one of many elements of the ambulance service what, plan that um, one of is many. set out and like other, other entities um, have an ambulance service plan that has different staffing models. So that's one of the elements that could be changed. I just want to. Yes, sta sta the staffing model is specifically addressed within the ambulance service plan as one of the required components and other counties def describe that differently than we do. Right, and that the potential for a temporary change of any of the um, elements, as long as it's approved by OHA is would be possible be possible we can change staffing and we can change the other elements correct temporarily or permanently right. uh, I'll have to get back to you with exactly what the impacts are of a temporary versus a permanent change um, there are some things within our code that allow for time limited te temporary changes um, those are pretty limited to 15-day increments so okay. um, a full answer, I, I, we're working with OHA and I'll have to really work with OHA to get you a better answer. If I could step in another. Um, could you state your name for the record, please? Oh, yeah, Paul, Paul Lewis, Deputy Health Officer. Um, 
the reason Aaron gave that response is that they say, well, tell us what you want to do, and then, you, then we'll tell you what process you need to go through with us. So, so that's, that's why we can't say exactly they will require this process or that process. They say they'll tell us after we've made a proposal to them. Right, but I guess I'm just trying to establish the staffing levels are and our staffing model is baked into the ambulance service plan. It is. Thank you. Um, so whether it's temporary or permanent, because um, I'm not um, just given what's happening, I'm not necessarily um, advocating for a permanent change, just um, giving a, whether we, whether we have the opportunity to make a um, temporary staffing model change as an option. What other things besides the staffing model, if we're looking at the, the larger issue of improving um, ambulance uh, response times, what other aspects of the ambulance um, service plan other than the staffing model have the potential to improve response times? You know, Paul Lewis, again, I'll, I'll, I'll try to take a, a stab at that. I, I know it's frustrating to say, oh, we're gonna study something, um, but it turns out the system is very complex. I've been involved in it for 10 years and I still consider myself pretty amateur uh, at it. Um, the number of elements that um, are involved from bystanders uh, to 911, which is in process of transforming itself right now, about halfway through its process of that, um, to the uh, uh, fire first response, uh, the ambulance response, and then the, the hospital and there's issues with payment. Uh, again, a common misconception is the county's not getting what it's paying for. Well, the county doesn't pay for it. Uh, Chair um, Bev Stein in the 90s made a very, very clear policy that uh, we needed an EMS system that the, that the county could not directly support it. So again, uh, the way it works is that uh, private, the AMR has an exclusive contract to do the 911 transports and only they can bill for that. And so that's how the system is uh, sustained. Uh, as I like to say, there's an indirect public subsidy uh, through our fire agency partners who go on a huge number of first responses, but they don't bill or get reimbursed uh, for that work. I guess what I was trying to get at is um, there's critiques of we don't want to change our staffing model, so I'm curious what else would be um, in the ambulance service plan that would improve response times if it's not the staffing models. So it's a really a sort of curiosity um, because if there is resistance to changing the staffing model, which is the one thing that's been proposed to improve staff response times, I'm curious what else might be there. Like, so to get, to get behind and advocate for, and from your response it sounds like we're gonna have to study that because it's complex. I, it's super complex. Um, there's things like AMR has nurse navigation where they actually uh, refer them to a phone call instead of sending a resource, and that reduces the number of calls in the system. Um, referring them to existing nurse triage systems or nurse things like Kaiser or Providence or Legacies call instead of sending a resource out at all. Um, we send a two paramedic ambulance out to the vast majority of calls. We've been piloting basic life support ambulances, which take a different two people. Um, it takes two EMTs instead of two paramedics. 
there are a lot of models. Um, Portland Fire's chat program uh, sends uh, one paramedic out in a van to low acuity calls. And so it's, we're talking about many components that need to be looked at and transportation is one of those components, but there may be other options that are not described in our plan today. And another critical point, one of the biggest changes that happened in the ambulance service plan in the 2016 period, which was updating something from 20 years previously, uh, was uh, a negotiation <clears throat> where the 911 system would transition from a, what we call a homegrown system of what to do with different kinds of phone calls to a internationally validated system. Uh, BOAC is in the process of getting to full accreditation in that, which will allow ultimately a much finer grained look at those phone calls to again, to try to optimize uh, the right resource at the right, right speed. So again, you need to know that during this process, BOAC is actively engaged in improving their comp uh, performance with that with that system but that's great to know it's out but and it's outside of the ambulance service plan no no that is part of the ambulance service plan. but it's being done by boac i mean that true which is part of the complexity is that the county has the ambulance service plan but as aaron points out we're like three fte the work is all done by other agencies either by contract uh, or uh, uh, co cooperative agreements. For example, the city of Portland, BOAC, does 911 for the entire, all of Multnomah County. And do you tr track outcomes when response times are delayed? Like how, how that impacts um, the individual who has waited for an ambulance? Or do we have metrics around that? I know we have metrics around um, when on the other side of things of where, where we have made, the, where the county ambulance service in, is responsive um, and around outcomes, but do we, do we track the difference it makes when say in January we had average wait times of 28 minutes? There's significant quality assurance and quality improvement activities that occur at agency level and system level. Um, and they review, um, again, individual charts, patient, outcomes at the hospital that need to be individually pooled in order to review those. Um, so the answer is yes, many aspects are reviewed. Is it specifically reviewed in context of long response times? Um, not specifically. Great, I, um, I, I would hope that the commission would have access to that. Um, it just would be useful to under, understand what the impacts of um, the, response, the long response times, um, I think it would help inform our discussion. I have a, one, one last question for this, just a short question from this panel, and then I have a question for um, Portland Fire. So Portland Fire isn't here to respond to questions. Okay, um, well there was, a, there was an assertion made that Portland Fire um, is not responding to calls, and my understanding is Portland Fire has, um, and it would be great to have all the, when we're having, a conversation about the um, something relating to, to response times and an assertion is made about Portland Fire that we have the opportunity to understand from them um, what level of service they provide. Because my understanding is they still send a paramedic to every serious health um, emergency call. Is that your understanding? 
I know you. I, I don't. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm asking you because I guess I can't ask. Pivoting, pivoting back to the request today for the ambulance service plan. That's really what we're here before. There's been plenty of coverage of people look at the same numbers and make different conclusions uh, about them. Again, we the, the numbers are not in in dispute. The, the question has to do with what counts, what what needs two paramedics, and what doesn't. And again, that's something that um, the more comprehensive review will help us uh, really focus on. And, and well, I think for the for this board's purposes, having that conversation as as if we're looking at the question specifically around staffing model and changes to the staffing model, we can we will have um, we will have the opportunity in future board meetings to have that conversation. Well, I'm concerned that misinformation that it may have been provided in public comment, and I I feel like it's relevant. And um, so. If they can't respond here, I'd like Portland Fire to provide a response because I've heard them um, share that they they do respond to every critical um, health emergency call. They don't respond to everything because not everything falls into that category. But I think we should establish that because there's a lot of assertions being made about uh, Portland Fire. And so I'm gonna request that we get a formal response and have it included in the record. And then just the last thing on slide seven, um, there's a discussion about the FY24 activities, and just so I understand what the activity that this would fund is that the action that would happen this fiscal year is the hiring and onboarding of a consultant. And a, and a FTE dedicated to the pro project. Okay, so those two, two correct. So it's mainly st st uh, a staffing both internal and external for the FY24 activities. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Stegman. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you all for being here. And let me just preface that I, I really want to send out my sincere appreciation to our Portland firefighters, our Gresham firefighters, our paramedics, and our EMTs. And we are all, we all want the same thing. Uh, so uh, I also have heard, I uh, had the opportunity to meet with Gresham Fire Chief Lewis, and I hear him loud and clear that Multnomah County does need to do a better job of engaging uh, with our sister jurisdictions like Portland Fire, Gresham Fire. So I look forward uh, to those uh, lines of communication improving. Uh, I've also had the opportunity to meet with AMR multiple times, and I appreciate uh, the paramedics who gave testimony today. And my office will be reaching out. Uh, I would love to have a conversation with you, as well as with Portland Fire. Uh, I think that opening up the ASP uh, assessment is the, the right thing to do, and it has been already stated that this does not preclude us from doing anything in the interim. In fact, we are doing things in the interim with various pilots. Uh, and I also have to just say that there, the profit motive of a company uh, that is owned by a private equity firm that has four to five billion, billion dollars of debt has to come into play. I also have concerns uh, which I know that uh, maybe Aaron, you couldn't answer directly, but anybody, most people who uh, work in business or work with contracts know that when you make a material change to a contract, there are legal ramifications. And so when we just like say, okay, we're gonna change the model, I have a lot of questions. Does that mean we pay AMR less? If we're shifting that responsibility from AMR 
to, uh, to taxpayers and our hardworking firefighters, then maybe some of that money should be going over there. Uh, we have, uh, in Gresham, we have a public uh, safety levy that has failed once. It's on the ballot again. We know that our firefighters and our police are substantially underfunded. And with all due respect, I hope that they can continue to bring that paramedic to the calls that they can respond to, but there's nothing that guarantees that they will always have that capability, always have that funding. So I have a lot of questions around that. And the other thing I would say is, it's kind of like, it's, I, it's sometimes it's easier to, to measure, you know, what happens than what doesn't happen. Gresham, we always talk about we have one of the highest cardiac arrest survival rates in the country. We also have a two paramedic system. So I think that's data that we need to look at. One second, Commissioner Second. Commissioner Meyer, would you mind um, trying to contain yourself from, from size or, or comments? It's, it's, it's distracting and I don't think it's respectful to the commissioners or to the staff here. Thank you. And the final thing is I think we have to f ask ourselves, what is it that we're solving for? And to me, one of the biggest issues is workforce. Why aren't we talking about how to get more paramedics, more ENTs into the system, incentivize them, offer scholarships? I, I mean, we're just, I, I don't know, I'm frustrated because I feel like we're not addressing the root cause of the problem. You all work in the medical field, you understand uh, treating root causes. So there are a lot of questions. I don't wanna look just at the symptoms, I wanna look at the root causes. So thank you all for your testimony. Thank you to our team. I know you're, you're in a tough spot, but I just wanna remind us all that we are here to serve the good of our community. And taking things personally or jabbing at one another is not helpful, is not productive. And I'm committed to staying at the table and I want everyone else, I ask you to make that commitment to work in a collaborative spirit to do the best thing to serve our community members. Thank you, Commissioner Myron. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna start with questions and have some comments. Um, first of all, I'm just curious with the BLS pilot, have there been any episodes of mistriage? Uh, thanks, Commissioner. Uh, yes, we ran- Can you please state your name for the- record? Oh yeah, Richard Bruno, a health officer for Multnomah County. Uh, we've run a BLS pilot uh, and we have some data from that uh, that shows that when uh, two EMT model where you have two EMTs responding to low acuity calls, uh, things like broken legs or, uh, you know, people who are sick but maybe not have a higher level uh, of, of need. Uh, we have about 4% of those get shuttled into a higher level in ALS response. So uh, pretty low in terms of like, you know, 911 sends out this BLS response and that's not adequate for the, the person once, once they get on seeing in the field and that requires an ALS response. So the answer is no, that there's a pretty low level of, of mistriage there. Wait, I thought the answer is yes. Well, you- That mistriage or- About 4% require okay. that higher level and then we don't have a lot of adverse outcomes from that. Usually ALS can arrive, get the person stabilized into the emergency room quickly. 
0.01% were transported lights and siren. Um, so it's a really low percentage of calls that were sent to BLS unit that had an ALS unit be requested after arrival. It's not zero. I mean, if you want it to be zero, but we have very little things in EMS that are zero. Um, four percent upgrade, 0.01 percent lights and siren transport. So four percent upgrade. Okay, um, that actually is significant, I think, and so that's just um, something that is important to consider because that goes up to an ALS level response. So. I'm just saying then you have to wait for um, the ALS uh, two paramedic rig to get there. Uh, and there aren't any, any fire personnel on that scene uh, because of the triage issue. So I, I do think that's a problem. And I would love to go more in depth into the BLS pilot triage. Um, I also, I'm curious uh, if you could describe there, I think there was a fire department transport protocol that you implemented at the end of November last year. Is that? It's actually a component of our ambulance service plan. Um, so we've had a, a fire department allowance for transport since uh, the beginning of uh, the county actually regulating ambulance services. Uh, in 1995, it uh, allowed for the fire department to transport. And uh, um, again, it's a component that we'll have to evaluate and assess through this process. Um, but uh, there's been a protocol in place in compliance with what's in the ambulance service plan. So was there anything that came out at the end of November talking about that or addressing it in a different way um, at all? It was all? updated. It was up, there was an updated protocol. So was that updated by whom and in what it's context? It's a clinical care protocol. So it's a treatment care protocol within the um, clinical care protocols that the field providers operate under. So, so who was responsible for updating that, and was fire were the fire bureaus involved? Yeah, we, we can get you the full uh, sequence of, of events that led up to that revision um, outside of this meeting. Okay. Um, I guess it just is. It concerns me when. A, it's like we can't change staffing, we can't change the protocol call, but then this thing comes out sort of behind the scenes, impacting fire and transport, and fire, the fire bureau, from what I understand, was not at the table, we can talk about it, but that they're not included, key stakeholders are often not consulted or are misrepresented in some of the conversations we're having. I find that troublesome. Um, the, uh, let's see, where was I? Um, the, uh, where is it? Do you have further questions around the ambulance service plan? I do. Um, sorry that I lost it. I guess the one other question that I had and then comments on that is about uh, the, oh, here it was. Do you measure how many cardiac arrest cases, um, in how many cardiac arrest cases the response time has been over 10 minutes? 
Commissioner, and due respect, we're here to talk about the funding for the ambulance service plan for the rest of FY24. And so expanding the discussion to other things, we're happy to gather that data and present it to you individually or in the open forum. Well, I think we've allowed for testimony to the expanded question, and I think you've all spoken to the ambulance staffing in that as a part of this. And so I think it it's a little bit, you know, when it's, it, it feels like a double standard when I ask a question that has to do with emergency response times in relation to what's being discussed and asked by all of my fellow commissioners and for certain ones, it's like, well, it's not, it's not getting to what we're, this consultant giving them $100,000, um, what we're talking about here today. So I'll ask that question and then happy to hear the, re the response separately. Um, you know, I guess what's difficult is that I'm not sure why Dr. Ju or Dr. Neff, who's our deputy director, I believe, is not at the briefing. Um, why they don't respond to emails. Um, I feel like there are comments that I, I feel like Dr. Jew is really at the heart of a lot of this and is the director overseeing all, not just our county EMS, but BOEC, the fire departments, and all of this, if there is confusion about any of it, I think that the responsibility falls on literally one person who should be able to answer some of our questions, but he's not here today. I ask these questions, he doesn't respond, and I guess I'm expressing some frustration because of that. It's difficult to be in that position and to have been asking for literally months about some of these issues and get literally no responses. But um, in terms of questions about quality, oversight, data, um, metrics, the response seems to be that this is a complex issue and I just think that in an emergency situation, it's not, that's not good enough for us. And we should be doing better and our responsibility as a board is to hold those accountable for making these changes or decisions to insist on an emergency response to an emergency. In terms of material changes to a contract and legal ramifications, um, I just, as a lawyer, uh, having read the actual county code governing this, there are mechanisms to address this that you do not have to get into the specifics of a contract because we're in an emergency situation and there is understanding that as situations change, the rules change and that's in the contracts and in the code. Um, in terms of sort of jabbing it, I, I agree, jabbing at others is not helpful and yet, from this board, I hear AMR, GMR is a big, giant corporation and they've done evil things or things that are jabbing while saying we're not jabbing. And I just think that 
we need we do need to I could not agree more that we need to get beyond that because for me it is irrelevant who is the I, I don't care who is running the ambulance service I don't care who is responsible for the contract or dotting an I or crossing a T I literally am thinking about the people that are waiting for an emergency response when they call 911 and they're not getting an ambulance. And that that happened 15,000 times of level zero last year. I imagine it will be greater this year and that is a problem for me. We should be able to stand outside of this, look at the objective medical reality and then move on. The, and saying things like, we have a two, I think this has been part of the problem. We have a two paramedic response and we have a high rate of cardiac arrests and people have survived and so making a conclusion that it's because of that two paramedic response is why there's an arrest, is, is they are related, like they are not showing, um, there's a statement about this, but there, there's not causality there. And so I think that's the kind of statistic we're putting out that sounds like, oh, because we have two paramedics, we're having this response. It's not necessarily a causal relationship and we should be looking much deeper and we've had over a year to do it and we haven't. That's what I find the problem is. So in terms of the issue at hand, is, should we hire a consultant? That's a nothing burger. It is like, we'll make some comments that, oh, it's so great that we're opening this up and we're addressing the contract of a consultant and will it make a single difference to do this for a hundred and whatever thousand dollars this fiscal year? No, it will not have a diff make a difference. I'll probably vote no because I feel it's a waste of time and money. If we just used our board meetings to have these conversations and real work sessions, bringing people in, I think we could get to the part of this um, and 150 is or 167 is a down payment on what will be asked for in our regular budget so you know I don't think that's the best use of our funds is it a problem I don't, whatever it's so small compared to what the actual issues are um, you know I I've to speak one last, one last final comment is, I speak to lots of paramedics and EMTs to answer your question. I regularly do and I work with them and I, I see her shaking her head, you have no idea who I speak with, but they express that they don't want to publicly comment because they're afraid of retaliation. So you shrug your shoulders and say, so I think that's important to think just as we're talking about everyone's talking about bullying, all these things. It's important to consider because I've heard desperate paramedics and EMTs tell me that they, would, they are so grateful I'm fighting for this model because they're scared to speak up and do it. So anyway, that's, I guess that's all I got. Thank you. Commissioner Brim Edwards, did you have comments? Sure. Um, thank you. Um, I, I am going to support um, this uh, agenda item and 
also on a state. I think we need to do much more. Um, and this isn't a for AMR or against AMR um, position at all. Um, I support the county leveling the fines uh, to AMR for not meeting their contractual requirements. Um, so can you can say this is not for AMR or against AMR, um, but it's more. It's been more than a year of delayed response times, and the county has a responsibility to take action. Firefighters across the cities and family members of those who've suffered from delayed response times have been raising this issue for more than a year. Um, so ha having a vote just on a an assessment of the ambulance service plan is inadequate. Um, and I'm disappointed that we're now waiting another month for a full county commission meeting of the ambulance service plan in Multnomah County and um, about the delayed response times. Um, so from, from my perspective, procuring a consultant and adding a county staffer is not urgent action. And I would hope that um, this team, in addition to uh, moving ahead with um, the assessment of the plan, is also um, coming back with recommendations of things we could do. If, if it's not changing the staffing model, what are the other things, knowing it's a very complex thing, what are the other things we can do to make short-term improvements in our ambulance response times? Um, because again, I'm not an expert and we can argue about whether what the staffing model is, but I don't think waiting another year to improve the response time is responsible. Um, so um, I'll, I'll be looking for and hope that there will be other recommendations coming forward um, that we can consider and discuss. And also I want to make, I just really want to make sure that um, first responders and the firefighters um, and the fire leadership, um, not only from Portland, but also from Gresham are at the table in the discussion so we can um, problem solve together to address the um, delayed response times. Thank, Thank you. you. Commissioner Stegman or Beeson, any final comments before the vote? I'm just so embarrassed that I did my comments during the question section, so I just want to apologize for that uh, that mess up. I'm, I guess I'm still new. No, it's okay. We sometimes do them during the questions, so it's okay. Commissioner Beeson, same. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much. Thank you um, for being here today. Marina, can we have a roll call vote? Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I forgot my comments. <laughs> We're all new here today. We're all messing up the rules. <laughs> I just, because I did want to acknowledge and thank you for coming here today, but I also wanted to acknowledge and thank everyone who's been participating in this conversation. I mean, I think everybody in this room recognizes that Multnomah County, just like the rest of the nation, is facing so many overlapping challenges, and struggling ambulance service system is, is one of those challenges that we're facing. And to recognize that caught in the middle of all of this are our hardworking first responders, our AMR paramedics and EMTs, who have been continuing to, to provide the highest quality care that they can during all of this. Um, we have been patiently working with our service provider, AMR, acknowledging the, need, the unique challenges facing our county right now. And we've um, been trying to exhaust every option that we have in front of us. Um, some of the things that I have asked um, for them and that we have asked is, really assigning more paramedics to work in Multnomah County, providing incentives to hire and keep people working in Multnomah County, subcontracting with other agencies to shore up staffing and provide full service for all emergencies, and adequately staffing existing programs, especially some of the BLS pilots that we have going on. 
Um, as I shared previously, we are moving to formal mediation with AMR, and at the request of members of this board, I have invited AMR to participate in a work session with us to be directly responsive to questions. Um, I am glad, though, that our actions here today will be immediately opening, uh, reopening our ambulance service plan two years ahead of schedule because there is a lot to assess with an ambulance service plan, not just ambulance staffing, but response times, um, the, the BOAC system, all the other elements of the county emergency medical response and all of the other factors that really shape that ambulance service plan. Any changes we make to our system have to be informed by a thorough process to avoid unintended consequences that could impact patients and our first responders. This is the responsible way to decide significant policy changes. For Multnomah County, our work and commitment is to maintain some of the best survival rates and outcomes in the country and to continue to focus on public safety today and into the future. Our families, our neighbors expect that when they call for help, it will come. And I expect AMR to come to the table and to meet the terms of their contract and join us in collaborative problem solving. I also expect this board and our other stakeholders and partners to be engaged in this conversation too as we move forward. Um, that is really um, the crux of what we must do. Instead of asking our residents to accept a lower level of care or for taxpayers to bear additional burdens of the costs of our system. With today's actions, we are one step closer to where we need to be. I look forward to the continued, um, supporting the continued efforts of our Multnomah County Health Department and especially our hardworking health officers and EMS administrators as they work on the assessment that we are approving today. So appreciate all of that. Um, and now can we have a roll call vote? You had mentioned that this is action to open up the ambulance service plan. Assessment. It doesn't actually modify oh, that. Thank, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so sorry. this is just to hire a consultant to begin looking at. Correct. We would come okay. back with recommendations. This is not it voting doesn't, about it doesn't, it up. It doesn't yeah. make thank changes. Yeah, I misspoke. I'm sorry. No, thank you for clarifying. And I just misspoke in my comments. Okay. Commissioner Myron? No. Commissioner Beeson? Yes. Commissioner Burm Edwards? Yes. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The budget modification is approved. Thank you. So now is the time when we have board comments on non agenda items. I'm going to call on commissioners by district to see who has any items to discuss today. I will start with uh, District 4. Thank you, Chair. I don't have anything. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Brim Edwards. So, um, can you skip me and I get back? I'm just not quite. Oh, no, go ahead. I mean, well, we can give you time if you need a minute to prepare. Um, okay, so uh, I have three items I wanted to just raise. Um, first, uh, the in the last, last summer's uh, discussions about the homeless services money. I was um, tasked with leading up an effort to plan and design a 24-7 drop-off sobering center. And for the last several months, we have had a very diverse um, group of um, experts from a variety of fields um, contributing to the work of the plan and design. And um, we will be delivering that um, to the county commissioners. We'll set up individual meetings to walk through the, um, 
the proposed draft plan. Uh, we also have had a, key, a set of key advisors who, um, who, aren't, have, who haven't been in those weekly meetings who have been pressure testing um, the ideas and um, looking for gaps and other places where we can make it a stronger proposal. Um, so we'll be um, sharing that, that work with you and the report um, as a sort of setup for a, a larger um, commission meeting. So I just want to let you know that that's on its way and really appreciate so many community leaders in different fields um, lending their expertise uh, to this project. And I'm looking forward to um, getting your feedback too because um, the plan and design is, is, I think we should view it as an iterative process. So you will get it with um, a, a lot of, um, so the expertise from a whole host of different peoples contributing to it, but we also want to um, hear your questions and won't view it as sort of a final recommendation until um, each of the individual commissioners have an opportunity to share sort of their questions, concerns, where there's gaps. Um, and so I just want to uh, flag that that's on its way. And then um, second, um, on the fentanyl emergency declaration, um, I that we that we made 27 days ago now, I, I would just encourage us to continue to um, keep this sort of front and center in our public discussions. And so that I know, for example, today there was a the, sort of the first sort of media availability by the Unified Command. I, I think given the, um, given that it's an emergency and the urgency of um, their work, that it would be good for us to continue to have it front and center um, and publicly versus just private briefings. I appreciated um, the private briefings I've had and I did get my first round of information um, back from the, the team. I just think if we've said something, it's so important that we've declared an emergency that we should be making sure that we're sharing what we're doing and what we're actually are trying to achieve in terms of whether it's reducing deaths, whether it's reducing overdoses, creating education plans, what, what our targets are so that, um, again, we can uh, understand as we, for example, head into the budget process where we might need to apply resources and, and also so the community can hold us accountable for, for our work. Um, but if we don't have publicly stated goals, we can't, um, the public can't actually hold us accountable for what we've, what we've said we were going to do um, around this emergency that's taking um, hundreds of lives um, here in Multnomah County. And then the third topic is, um, I know I've, I've been getting um, a lot of emails from all sides around the um, potential ceasefire resolution and I'm be interested in what's gonna come out of the, the process. I, I do wanna note that in, individually I've already called for an immediate negotiated ceasefire. Uh, so I just want to say that again on the record, I did um, when we had a discussion about it earlier. Um, and that the conditions that would be also attached to that. Um, so I, I will be communicating with our federal delegation, sort of my point of view and what I've already stated on the record. Um, so I just for all those people who have communicated with me, I want people to know that I've already made a statement to that effect um, and I'm happy to look at the resolution um, but I don't need to wait for the resolution in order to um, make an individual statement. Thank you. Thank, thank, oh, um, 
Yeah, so a couple things. So first of all, thank you so much for your work on the Sobering Center. I'm really looking forward to this. I know my team has been engaged. Um, Tabitha from my office has been engaged and has really appreciated all the work and collaboration. We've super appreciated having her part of it. Yes. And I will, as part of my board comments, I'm going to provide additional information about the 90-day um, uh, fentanyl updates because I agree it should be in, um, Great. in comments. Yeah, the news article was crap. It's my opinion, but, but, but we will definitely have it in publicly. Go ahead, Commissioner. Oh, thank you, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Broom Edwards, thank you. Uh, you just reminded me that I wanted to update the public uh, on the status. My office is leading the ceasefire resolution work, and uh, we have been working very collaboratively uh, with uh, each of your staff members, and it is my goal that we will be able to present, hopefully, a unanimous uh, resolution that we can all support next Thursday. So uh, my goal has is and has always been that we could create a statement uh, that we could all feel comfortable signing on to as opposed to us uh, doing individual statements because I think that it's very important for this board to have unanimity on something of such great importance and meaning to our community. So that is forthcoming and we are working diligently and I hope to have something next Thursday. Thank you. Commissioner, Commissioner Beeson. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, I was able to attend uh, two of the three days of the Yimby Town um, Conference in Austin. Yimby stands for Yes in My Backyard. Uh, and it was great to see sort of a, a movement in the making of a bunch of nerds uh, caring about how we uh, develop uh, housing um, at scale. Uh, it was great to connect with folks um, uh, from Houston and Denver who are working to sort of uh, kind of as we talked about uh, during our work session strengthening those linkages between the homeless continuum into ha into housing um, and getting that scale um, right and getting that sort of the housing types uh, reflective. So I just wanted to uh, share a little bit about that. Uh, just got back Tuesday night. And then second, I might have to get my tonsils out and I'm terrified. And so if anyone has had experience, I would love to just like pick your brain about whether I should do it. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Commissioner Myron. Thank you. Um, I think uh, first, uh, thank you to Commissioner Brim Edwards for the Sobering Center work. Uh, I've been at those tables and uh, your whole team is doing a fantastic job of bringing people together and moving the project along. Um, I have informally convened a group of substance use disorder continuum leaders, including people with lived experience, uh, leaders of organizations and advocacy groups who have sort of are visionaries, kind of gotten things done. And um, I asked, I had an ask, can we meet for three meetings um, to see if we could reach consensus on two items. One is to develop a plan or a framework for a continuum of substance use disorder care because currently one does not exist. And number two, um, if there were investments to be made, as everyone's sort of saying, oh my gosh, it, this is a huge issue, where they see the gaps and where they would want funding um, and resources and planning prioritized. Um, so they reached consensus, which is incredible. There was no disagreement about anything. And there were like 15 organizations who may not always agree with one another seemingly, but the big issues, they had 
they, we reached consensus, and they had insights on things that they wish policymakers knew or would think about or would take into account as we're making our decisions about budget and policy. So I'm finalizing that report. I've sent the draft final report to them for just any, um, any feedback, and I will forward it to your offices. So it's, that's been inspiring. Um, and then finally, I just, I feel like there's been a lot, particularly this week, that may have sort of come to a head that um, is around emergency, urgency, and crisis. And I feel like we use these words a lot and kind of throw them out in whatever we happen to be talking about because there are huge crises facing our community, our state, and the world right now. And they, I mean, I, it would be interesting to try to count them in press releases and things, but there are virtually no instances where I feel like we actually act like there's a real emergency crisis or urgency. And just the list, today we talked about ambulance staffing. We say there's a crisis, haven't done anything to actually move the dial for a year. Um, homeless, and then we had the, the vote today on the cons, consult, the first installment for a consultant. Um, homelessness, I think there's gonna be an announcement of a response system, something like that today. I am glad there will finally be a plan after over a year, um, but that's not treating our situation with urgency. It has been over a year. Um, the supportive housing services underspend that was reported and is appalling. We call this a humanitarian crisis of homelessness because in fact it is. But meanwhile, uh, we have this ton of money that is sitting there not spent. And just this week, again, why it's all sort of coming together this week, three separate organizations reached out to me desperate do incredible work taking care and supporting the most vulnerable in our community. They reached out to the joint office and either multiple times either have not gotten any response or have been told, yeah, we don't have money that we can give to you. And I find that um, not okay. The fentanyl crisis we've talked about um, for the past year, we've refused to call it a public health emergency. Suddenly we're calling it that, but almost 30 days into the emergency, we haven't heard much. I appreciate you will be providing an update, Chair, but there's no real um, plan. There is no real outcomes that are measured. There's no visible difference. Local mental health authority, emergent behavioral health is one of the biggest crisis crises facing our community and a month ago i called this out we have a statutory obligation and the governor's office through the head of behavioral health at the oha reached out immediately and said okay let's schedule a meeting and do something about this not only has a meeting not been scheduled we still do not have a permanent behavioral health director. We have not done a robust national search for this a year after we lost our 
permanent, our behavioral health director. The ceasefire resolution as well. I said sort of from the get-go, um, I would sign on to a resolution. I think that they're the Multnomah County Dems, the Washington County Dems of ones I said, I would sign these right now. We need to figure this out. Then we did not receive information for a couple of weeks. Um, wanted to give um, Commissioner Stegman the the authority because you, you want to lead this and I really respect that. And you know, at, at each meeting we've had, even when you're not here, people are saying, please sign on to Commissioner Stegman's draft and there, there's not even been a conversation until Friday of last week. So it's, it, and then just not humans, but the euthanasia policy for animals. A year ago this came up a policy was finally put out there that is concerning. I feel like all of this stuff, when we say there's a solution and putting out a plan as if it's an emergency, these are things we could have done for the past over a year. I also feel that when we say something's an emergency, we say it and say it and say it, and then we don't act like it's an emergency. And so I just want to elevate that and feel, you know, I guess it's a combination of 10 more months in office and these things are really urgent. I am an ER doctor, so I feel like there's a lot we could be doing, stat. And then just, yeah, and then frustration of trying to get answers to questions, trying to do things and then, um, and not seeing things happen. So. I just wanted to elevate that, and I'm hoping we can together to address urgent crises with the urgency they deserve. Thank you. I will say if you have people who are coming to you about difficulties they're having with the joint office, please um, share those with me and my team so that we can work on that. I would, you know, I mean, I think that's the best way to get, make sure that people are getting the response. Um, so I will say that. Um, I did want to provide some, um, as a part of my final announcements, um, update on the 90-day fentanyl emergency. This is following a press roundtable this morning with Unified Command. During that event, each of our incident commanders from the state, the county, and the city spoke to some of the progress that's been made during this emergency. I also wanted the board to know that our Multnomah County uh, website, our 90-day fentanyl page on our Multnomah County website is actually the base of um, public communications for the entire 90-day fentanyl emergency. So that is always the best place to get information. It will be updated frequently. It does have the, um, currently it has the um, objectives and guiding principles um, that have been decided by Unified Command. Um, so I'm gonna start off the update with just some really sobering statistics. Between January 1st of 2024 and um, this week, 40 of the 130 suspected or confirmed overdose deaths in Multnomah County were considered to be fentanyl related. And in the past month, approximately 12 fentanyl related overdose deaths were in the operational area of the incident command. Countywide fentanyl related 911 dispatches during that time totaled more than 100. And partial data for February 2024 shows an estimated 134 opioid-related visits to emergency departments or urgent care in Multnomah County. This drug continues to take a devastating toll on all of our community. 
And that is why we know it's going to take the state, the city, and the county working together in a truly coordinated effort to respond to this, port, this ongoing crisis and to make some real headway on it. Daily coordination at Unified Command Headquarters among all jurisdictional partners and first responders is helping us make that progress. The tri-county, I'm sorry, the tri-governmental emergency provides an opportunity to put these pieces together to make a whole and maximizes the effectiveness of our collective response. Over the past 30 days, 46 people have left or partially left their day jobs to focus on fentanyl across all three governments. That's significant people resources and a clear demonstration that the governor, the mayor, and our board are treating this as a priority. Up to this point, each of our governments and relevant agencies has collected and released data in silos. The tri-government emergency provides a platform by which we can collate all data on the public health and public safety sides for a full picture of the work taking place to address fentanyl in the central city on a given week um, and over time. This will allow us to identify and fill gaps and better coordinate. That alone puts us ahead of most regions grappling with the fentanyl crisis. Our emergency can be a model for other regions because we know a large share of fentanyl that moves through the state changes hands in Portland Central City. In this way, we can have a statewide impact while also developing strategies that other regions can duplicate. Since January, we have distributed at least 1,500 naloxone kits. In the past month, we have reversed over 30 active, or I'm sorry, 70 active overdoses. In the past couple weeks, Portland Police Bureau has arrested several fentanyl distributors, issued 90 Measure 110 tickets, and seized 200 grams of the drug. And in one day alone this week, we made 40 housing needs assessments, which means there are 40 people and families who are closer to shelter and a place to call home. This includes work happening at Unified Command's directions and actions taken by partner agencies participating in the emergency declarations. We've been successful in increasing our infrastructure with this coordination, expanding a task force made up of law enforcement, fire and rescue resources, outreach and substance use disorder services, houseless navigation teams, and street cleanup staff. This task force meets every day to coordinate and deploy resources and report back on the previous day efforts, including assessing barriers to meeting overall objectives and making real-time assessments of long-term needs. We've also launched an overdose response team, a drug treatment team, and a Narcan distribution team so that no one is working in isolation and each part of our resource has the same level of coordination of approach, resources, and connections to the community. And we've continued to bring along a strong public health lens focus to this work. Multnomah County Unified Commander Dr. Jennifer Vines announced this morning that it will take transformational changes to truly respond to our gaps and to provide the services that people need. With this emergency in place and the coordination that goes with it, we are moving closer every day to that change, which will soon include a prominent public, public awareness campaign expected um, this next month to reduce stigma and focus efforts on recovery. And that effort will be countywide. I'm looking forward to continuing to update the community on these efforts, including in our upcoming briefing next Tuesday. As I said at the beginning, you can also visit um, www.multco.us to find regular updates um, at our page dedicated to this 90-day fentanyl emergency and the tri-governmental efforts. Um, and that concludes my remarks for today. Madam, and with Madam Chair, can I ask something about just the, the briefing we have next week? I, I really yes. appreciate the, yeah. the update. Um, at the briefing next 
we can we make sure and have the baseline data on some of the things just so we know so for example the amount of like narcan um, that has been distributed or the overdose deaths or the, those or, and the overdoses that have been um, uh, reversed out getting the baseline data so we know what we're basing it out of um, just to give us context of like is that we're holding steady or we're actually because of the coordinated effort making um, a measurable change. And, and again, it, it's okay if there's not a measurable change because we could, we, I mean, obviously it'd be desirable to have a measurable change, but also understand what the baseline is so that if we're not seeing a measurable change because of the emergency and the coordinated effort, they're like, what are we gonna do to actually um, accelerate it so that we can see a measurable change? And the second piece is, I'm, I'm gonna continue to ask for the when we get that baseline data to have it disaggregated, when I ask for the heat map of overdose deaths, and again, I'm supportive of the central city actions, but when, when and, I wanna make the, this is a very important and, not a but. Um, so the central city and the other areas of the county that are really impacted by, um, and lives that are being ruined every day by fentanyl. And I look at just the very um, high level map that I received, and yes, there is, um, a uh, red dot right in Central City. And there's a huge um, clear impact on south, outer southeast and East Portland um, that's not quite as intense as Central City, but lots of deaths in the other parts of the city and including in District 3. And I really, I'm gonna continue to ask for this and I hope that in our, our briefing on Tuesday that it's an inclusive briefing on what's being done and what's being planned, not just in the central city and in other parts of the county, especially that have been heavily impacted. I mean, there's clearly parts of the county that doesn't look like there's been um, very little impact in terms of deaths, but it's not just in the central city. And so I would ask that our data and our discussions be inclusive of, of all of the county. Yeah, so we can, um, I'm, I think we can have the conversation with Abby about what data she's able to bring next week, but hear you that you'd like to get some baseline information and we can see what, what Unified Command has that they've been working and what with. And we're, what we're doing in those areas yeah. too, because um, yeah. we can't just push it for things the, out to East Portland. For this for the second piece, I would say, you know, I saw that the, the map and the, the heat map as well that you had asked for and obviously, I mean, that's my, I always look because that's where I live. And I and, it, it, and I think it's whether it's gun violence or fentanyl deaths or whatever, I always see my neighborhood at the heart of it. So I appreciate your concern and um, we will definitely have um, conversations around what is the larger work that's happening as well. All right, appreciate um, everyone. Oh, give us your segment. Chair, I just wanted to uh, thank you for the report out. I did look at the, the fentanyl website. I appreciate that. I did see uh, many of the questions, Commissioner Brim Edwards, that you had posed uh, in, in a response to us, so I really appreciate that. But I mean, what was striking is that a lot of that data, for better or for worse, uh, has never been collected. And the fact that we are beginning to collect that and thinking about systems and ways to collect that data uh, is, is the challenge that we find ourselves in. So, but I do appreciate that those efforts are being made. And uh, Commissioner Myron, I just wanted to respond to your concern about the ceasefire. Uh, our office had sent out the draft of our ceasefire early February. Uh, up until last night, uh, we had not received any edits 
from other offices with the exception of the chair's office. So I don't know if you maybe didn't receive that. Maybe you should you know, check with your staff uh, because we did send out the draft very, very early on and have been waiting for responses. So that's concerning to me because we do wanna be collaborative. And if you're not getting information, I wanna make sure that you are. We'll check and figure out where that went. So thank, thank you. you. All right. Thank you, everyone. That concludes today's regular board meeting. There being no further business, we are adjourned.